Um, there was never an education piece around get your eye checked on a regular basis that 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 I can remember um, even going through school I don't know about you guys you guys come from a lot younger generation than me but when you guys went through school I don't know if you remember if there was ever anything like that um, but when I went through school there used to be a time when they'd even send dental people in and we used to do that little swish in our mouth with the colored stuff I don't know if you guys did it when you were young but it was just an oral health thing too that they used to do in the schools but there was never a thing for for eyes um, so I think that that has always been a lack of, of you know, bringing it to the to the forefront. And I think people just really take eyesight for granted for whatever reason um, when you've had it your whole life. I, I could never speak to somebody who, who is blind or has lost eyesight or throughout their life, right? All I know is I woke up one day and my vision was blurry and I used to have like, I remember going to do eye tests and having like 20-20 vision or whatever that was the best vision you could have and they just tell me that <clears throat> you know you have a sensitivity to light maybe wear some sunglasses uh, but I guess you know I'm a sun seeker so I didn't take their <laughs> their 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 advice and I woke up one day and I, and I swear that that it was like I had um uh, the bottom of a, a dirty glass or something over my eyes or you know all of a sudden everything was blurry uh, I couldn't read little lines anymore um, and I tried to avoid it for as long as I could and like you said I learned how to go on on autopilot and just <laughs> see the things around me um, and then I discovered readers and then I could see again. Uh. Hello everyone and welcome back to You Creates podcast, Many Different Birds. Broadcasting on CJSW Radio, where we will hear authentic stories from special guests from all backgrounds and bridge the gap between non-Indigenous and Indigenous communities, with a special focus on the Canadian healthcare system. We want to open up the floor to honest discussions and get a deeper insight into how we can improve our healthcare practices and work on our own biases. So today... Before we begin, I want to acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy comprising the Siksiga, Bigani, and Gaina First Nations, as well as the Sutina First Nation and the Stony Nakoda, including the Chiniki, Bear Spa, and Good Stony First Nations. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. So now a little bit about Sydney. Sydney Gill is an Indigenous man and his family is from the Sapotoac Cree Nation located in Treaty 4 territory. He is thoroughly engaged in connecting and reconnecting people with Indigenous ways of life and beliefs. Over the past 18 years, he has helped develop and strengthen cultural resources available for cultural reconnection for individuals, families, and organizations through social serving systems of care and in the human services sector. Sydney's work seeks to create opportunities for all people to experience and connect to Indigenous ways, elders, and communities. Sydney regularly conducts, participates, and facilitates sharing circles, traditional feasts, and ceremony. Also, through development of classroom-style workshops, which cover the TRC report, UNDRIP, and more, Sydney facilitates 
blanket exercises, and his work has translated to cultivate deeper and more positive relations in helping to bridge gaps in services for Indigenous women, men, youth, and families across multiple domains. Sydney has worked with the University of Calgary's Faculty of Social Work as an instructor for professional development within the sector for a four-year stint. He has had the opportunity to give many presentations, a keynote address, and host workshops to diverse audiences across Western Canada on the importance of understanding cultural reconnection within reconciliation for Indigenous peoples. So now moving on to Darcy. So Darcy Hipkiss is a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, with her bloodline linking her back to the Waterhen Lake First Nation in Treaty 6. Darcy enjoys using her creativity and interpersonal skills to help engage with those in her community, to foster relationships and encourage conversations. She is a recent graduate from the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology with a diploma in Hospitality Management and a degree in Business Administration with a focus in Marketing. Darcy graduated with multiple Indigenous Career Awards and has now recently joined Operation EyeSight as a Community Engagement Coordinator. Awesome. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. And before we start, is there anything that you would like to add? For, for me, um, I, just because I'm not from this territory, I always find it important to take a moment to reflect on, um, I guess, what would be called a land acknowledgement in, in, in current realities when it's it comes from an Indigenous protocol. So I, I always, again, because I'm a guest and if you know your treaty territories, um, <clears throat> I'm here in Treaty 7 territory, and I always want to take a moment for folks to recognize that um, and provide a moment for learning for individuals to realize that they need to um, know that the original peoples here are, are their hosts and they've always been here and, and they want uh, to continue share with folks. So um, in Treaty 7 territory, we remember it as a, a Blackfoot name, a, a Mokinsis, and there's some other names too that I've yet to learn myself, but um, I always find it important to do land acknowledgement as well too. Um, and, and remember the original peoples that, that come from this land. And, and here again, you would look at the Blackfoot Con Confederacy being Treaty 7 territory uh, with Siksika, Kainai, Bakani, um, the Stony Nakoda nations as well too, and Satina, and then of course the Métis Region 3 people, and then all the rest of us that, that uh, live and play here in Culture 87 Territory Home. Um, so with that, I don't know if there's anything that you want to add to that, Darcy, or, or if there's anything that they missed with, with your introduction. But for me, it's it's always just a reminder of, you know, who was always here um, and to remember our place here in, in that um, story as well. No, I think you um, put it well put, well said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So before we begin, I have a question for you both. Can you please let our listeners know, what is Operation EyeSight? So Operation EyeSight um, is a global community 
Um, we're actually celebrating our 60th anniversary this year wow. um, of, of work, um, and there'll be a, I think, quite a celebration later on on this year. So, so maybe keep an eye out for that as, as well too. I don't know the details on that, but I know we're we're planning something uh, uh, big. Um, and I guess a lot of our work right now consists uh, overseas. You know, we have more than 65 staff with 500 volunteers worldwide. Uh, along with a team of more than 2,000 community health workers and volunteers. Uh, we are hundreds of communities of work. Uh, we are a network of 10,000 plus donors, 56 partner hospitals, and more than 30 partner institutions, including uh, uh, universities like DUFC, uh, institutional donors, and clubs um, such as Rotaries, Lions, uh, and others. So I would say um, together we're, we're a global community um and the impact we want to do is 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 um um we're working to make avoidable vision loss a, a thing of the past um our mission you know if you want to get right into that you know you know if you wanted to think about what our mission is and all that and if you looked right on on the website you you would see our mission is to prevent blindness and restore sight um our vision is to is the elimination of avoidable vision loss um, and the values we hold are equity innovation citizenship compassion um and, and, and excellence um is there anything you want to maybe add to that darcy um we often will invest more in sustainable eye health treatment um, and blindness prevention and then community development so um, our work leads more to reduced inequalities, better overall health and the well-being, and then increased social and economic opportunities for the communities that we're working alongside in. Is that a question? Um, what does it kind of mean when you say sustainable eye health treatment? How does that kind of look like? I think overall, <clears throat> if you look at our organization, um, oh, I think I guess it would, we should mention too that we're from the Canada program now. So it, this is a very, very new, um, as well as of the work that Operation Eyesight wants to start now helping Indigenous communities across Canada here. Um, basically, why we're we're on here today, but. The work with Operation Eyesight, like I said, being 60 years old, um, I can tell you that, you know, in sustainability in 2009, uh, we piloted our flagship hospital-based um, community eye health program model. Um, and this has been proven um, to successfully eliminate avoidable blindness on a sustainable basis, um, meaning that we work with, like, all those partners that we spoke about in the beginning all those many people I, I listed in the countries that we operate in we we get right into the communities and like you said community-led volunteers or we employ community um led leaders i guess is, is the way to put it to 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 craft what that solution looks like um basically for that community on 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 the ground level i guess in the way of um, actually just getting access to regular eye care um, eye exams and then if there's anything beyond that um, to, to make sure that that client journey I guess would, would, would be followed um, in, in anywhere that we operate in so um, with that hospital based community eye health program model right this, this has scaled up in South Africa 
um, are sorry, South Asian and African countries that Operation Eyesight works in. Um, and then during 2010, they transitioned into a knowledge center with the successful successful piloting and scaling up of uh, that, that model I was talking about. And then um, it was a, and I love this word, uh, a paradigm shift that resulted in eye hospitals and health ministries seeking uh, technical expertise rather than financial support um, to eliminate avoidable blindness on a sustainable basis. So meaning that we were good at, at linking everything together and, and bringing the services to the people and then ensuring that that it was community-led so the people would, you know, access services because there, there's a history of just not in trust in, in really any country that you go in and you're bringing a, a system of change there um, and trying to get the people to even go in for, for basic eye care or, or to realize that that's important and this is why we need to do it. Um, another big thing that they do sustainably in other countries for now for Operation Eyesight is, is they, they provide clean water to, to communities as well too um, in the way of, of say a borehole or, or, or a drinking well and, and the um, the importance of cleanliness and, and regular washing and pieces like that so um, that's how sustainability looks over there here in Canada I think we want to kind of emulate what that looks like and, and, and work with my role specifically as um, a community engagement um, specialist for Indigenous programs will be to do that. But with, um, if you know kind of the healthcare system here in Canada, um, you, you start to get the landscape of, um, I guess, the Indigenous healthcare system. Um, which communities have uh, actually hospitals in community or if it's a health center or if it's a nursing station or if it's um, even just uh, uh, an ATCO trailer is reality of some places as well too depending how remote you get so um, I want to be able to provide that basic eye care to well not me but provide um, the access to the to that basic eye care in these communities through through the same way and, and make eye care something that's becomes regular um important to folks um gets the same um i guess notoriety as as uh, uh um how do you say the dental yeah yeah like the dental bill and pieces yeah. like that because eye care right now falls out of any general health piece right now um and, and it's lagging behind everywhere but if any four of us here thought about the importance of our eyes and if you could imagine not being able to see or if we popped our glasses off and tried to <laughs> do anything, right? Yeah. We, we know what that is. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, what sustainability looks like right now and, and, and what we want to um, do um, in Canada here as we build our, our Canada program, especially with Indigenous communities. So 100% yeah. community-led programming is what makes, I think, things sustainable. Yeah, so just a little context for our listeners here. Um, I connected with Sydney when I was on, it's called the Global Connect program. So um, Operation Eyesight was actually the first organization we saw in the entire trip. First one in Calgary specifically too. And so just like the partners that Sydney was talking about, um, he was just mentioning the presentation that we had. And one thing I noticed when I was actually on the Global Connect program is that a lot of um, 
I guess organizations follow that community-based approach that you were talking about and that really stuck out to me because I haven't really heard that kind of wording community approach or community-led, volunteer community-led until I actually went on the Global Connect program and I think the reason why these developmental organizations that work in like other countries beyond Canada that they work for so long is that they don't use policies that work here or are made here work here they flourish here and then bring that and put that and implement it in communities there because a you don't know how the community operates there you don't know here that like sometimes we don't listen to elders we just listen to people in power instead but there it's not power it's elders respect and so you kind of have to like shift the way your policies are made and i think that approach really kind of stood out to me that like if you are going to work with a community it cannot be based on your terms it has to be based on the community's term and that's what makes any practice or anything that you do sustainable on its own um so darcy had a question for you what made you join operation eyesight um yeah so it started off more looking at the organization as a whole and everything that they've done up to the 60-year point, even just how it was started, um, really just attracted, you know, it shows that it's all in um, all in good faith, really. Um, and yeah, all the work that they've done so far has been really impressive and how they've been able to actually sustain it within the communities. Um, and then for me, being Indigenous and, um, you know, wanting to go back more to my roots and helping that side of things, um, when I learned about the more Canadian program that's involving, it really um, attracted me to that. So, yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Okay, so I know, um, Sydney, you mentioned that, like, Eye healthcare is something that no one really is on number one on their list when we're talking about health. It's always something else. I feel like even me personally, like it's always my eyesight is always the last thing that I think about when yeah. it should be the first. Yeah. Like you'll see me. I can't see far, but I'll sit in the car. I'll drive off. I'm halfway to my destination. And then I realize, wait, I'm blind. Like everything that I'm seeing is like kind of blurry, but I'm just in such an autopilot that I don't realize that I'm not wearing my glasses. So why do you think, in your opinion, eye health is important? We know vision is important, but why is it that you think people don't give it as much, I guess, importance? And why do you think that we should give it importance, even though we know vision is one of the most one of the most important senses that we do have? So in your opinion, why do you think people kind of forget about eye health? <laughs> I think, you know, historically, um, eye health has been deprioritized by national governments, um, key international agencies. Um, there's been a lot of um, lack of education when, when it comes to, I think, the importance of eye health. I, I can never um, remember seeing... Um, anything as important as eye health as say even around what it was to eat your vegetables or, or how often you, sh you should be brushing your teeth and, and pieces like that um, there was never an education piece around 
get your eye checked on a regular basis that 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 i can remember um even going through school i don't know about you guys you guys come from a lot younger generation than me but when you guys went through school i don't know if you remember if there was ever anything like that um but when i went through school there used to be a time when they'd even send dental people in and we used to do that little swish in our mouth with the colored stuff i don't know if you guys did it when you were young but it was just an oral health thing too that they used to do in the schools but there was never a thing for for eyes um so i think that that has always been a lack of of you know bringing it to the to the forefront and i think people just really take eyesight for granted for whatever reason um when you've had it your whole life i i could never speak to somebody who who is blind or has lost eyesight or throughout their life right all i know is i woke up one day and my vision was blurry and i used to have like i remember going to do eye tests and having like 20 20 vision or whatever that was the best vision you could have and they just tell me that you know you have a sensitivity to light maybe wear some sunglasses uh, but i guess you know i'm a sun seeker so i didn't take their <laughs> their 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 advice and i woke up one day and I, and i swear that that it was like i had um uh the bottom of a, a dirty glass or something over my eyes or you know all of a sudden everything was blurry uh, I couldn't read little lines anymore, um, and I tried to avoid it for as long as I could. And like you said, I learned how to go on on autopilot and just <laughs> yeah. see the things around me. Um, and then I discovered readers, and then I could see again. Uh, and then I figured I should get some uh, actual glasses. Um, and that's when I really went into the I think the, of what it looks like to navigate benefits here, right in 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 in, in, um, in Canada. And I think that's another piece to answer your question of, of why it's important especially for indigenous folks um and and, and being able to see and then connection to i think i want to say the land um and, and being outside um and 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 also i guess being able to to read the things we need able to read today to to write stories in in our language now that um so much of this knowledge is coming to the forefront um so I mean, those are a couple areas why I think eye health is important. Um, why I think it's it's been ignored again is just a, a lack of education and, and really bringing it to the forefront. There's a, there's a bill right now, kind of it was a private member's bill, but I know we were involved in it at Operation Eyesight. Um, I'm just trying to think of the name of it right now, Bill C-24. Um, so, you know, we're still... Uh, trying to push that and maybe if one of the the larger parties you know brings it to to the table it'll it'll get that that same notoriety that we've seen of uh that, that dental bill that came through and it became more of a national priority for for folks to get that access um across canada here um and, and built into eye health care which came comes with benefits but that's a whole conversation too that we could get into of what do those benefits look like um right because you said like i agree with what you said about every country looks a little bit different and that looks a little different because the ally healthcare system in its whole or, or even the healthcare system looks different but when you get down to the local people they know um the solutions to the problems that exist so same same thing with with, with i think um I'm being here and, and why, I, you know, to answer your question, why these things are important in, in areas that we're working with at um, Operation Eyesight to um, 
um, mitigate these areas and issues and, and problems here in Canada. I feel like I can relate to what story you were saying is that in grade 11, same thing, vision 2020. And then I noticed I can't read the board. And it's like, why can't I read the board? So I just started blaming it on the glare that was coming in from the window. It's hitting like the board. Maybe that's why I can't see. Obviously, I did not move my spot because I was with my friends. I'm going to sit there. So in physics class, I could not see half of what the teacher was writing on the board. But I ignored it because whatever, it was the sunlight. And then I realized one day when it was raining and then it was dark, I could not see the board at all. And I don't know, in a span of maybe two years, not even, my eyesight went from like 2020 to like, right now it's negative 2.25. Like it's not the worst, but it just kind of shocked me that in two years it went down that bad. No one told me like, wear your glasses consistently. Why is it important to wear glasses? And you mentioned like, you know, during schools, did you guys ever have eye checkups or dental checkups? Never had that. But I do remember growing up and only going to the dental office, like yeah. the dentist. That's it. Yeah. I think the first time I went to an optometrist was in grade 11. And that was because I had to. Yeah. And if I didn't have to, I don't think I would have even went to an opto like optometrist because it's like, oh, I, ha like, I, I can see. That's fine. Well, the cost is so out of pocket, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean... $120 and more for per eye exam is just out of the question for some families. Um, you know, if my kid can see, they can see, right, is is the premise or I think the the piece that the parent might be happy about, um, you, you would hope. Um, but yeah, that eyesight is, is or being able to see the board, I think, is, is important because it when I went out to Satina, they knew that the health fair there, um, and, and they had groups of students coming through because uh, the Many Gray Horses High School was right next door to the Seven Chiefs Sportsplex. So I had a board up there just posing a simple question on, you know, what would an Indigenous eye health care program look like to you? Um, and one of the you know, it was sticky notes, and and I'd get in conversation with with uh, people who would approach our booth, and and I you know write something down on the sticky note, and I'd tell them to put it up there. And, and one of the what one of the groups of students that came through there, one of the pieces that one of the kids wrote down was simply being able to see the being able to see the whiteboard or blackboard or or whatever it's called now, like the smart board or what you know that they use in um, in classrooms. Uh, yeah, like and and then. Um, lot of other stuff about being treated fairly when you seek out services um and then like i said when it comes to that benefit piece that's a whole other thing that came up as well too of, of say you go somewhere okay you go to your optometrist and you walk in there and all you have is is um first nations health care uh, a lot of the times right you're either turned away or or the service becomes a lot different as well too so there's that whole systemic barrier as well too that just plays a, a, i think a hard part for a, a segment of the canadian population seeking eye health care um that is just not there um which is, is is the sad truth of a lot of things in canada when it comes to health care in general um which which is kind of the, the the premise behind this whole podcast here so i mean another area of sad truth but um you know you got folks i think like darcy and i that uh have a commitment to to eliminate uh, avoidable vision loss and provide 
equitable uh, access to deserving groups of, of individuals as well too, right? Mm-hmm. As you said, Sydney, we take eye health for granted when we talk about health or wellness. and But it's also been noted that access to eye care is more than just a one-time checkup. So can you elaborate on the ongoing support and care that's needed for sustainable eye health in these communities? Yeah, yeah, you betcha. Um, did you want to speak to that, Tars? I, I think it goes right in line with kind of this. Um, yeah, we kind of are lined up with the um, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals which is including good health and well-being and gender equality as a reality. Um, So as we deliver results and impacts through um, the programs and partnerships with like-minded non-eye health organizations and corporations, we will also contribute to other um, goals as well for reducing inequalities. Um, So yeah, I know you were talking about how Operation EyeSight wants to do work here in Canada, in Calgary, especially um, for and in Indigenous communities. Where did that kind of idea come from? Because I know Operation EyeSight does a lot of work overseas. So why did you want to bring it here in Calgary? Why did you think that maybe Calgary, there was a need for it? Um, Just speak about kind of how... Like, where did this kind of start from? So, with some folks that were at Operation EyeSight and and have since uh, uh, moved on to other opportunities, they um, they knew there was a case here. Um, they they were strong allies of of of, of you know underserving communities uh, or, or sorry underserved communities, not just indigenous communities only, but you know maybe. Um, uh, immigrants as well to uh, um, 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 uh, other minorities, you know, BIPOC communities that just face those barriers that, that we know exist here in Canada. Um, so they knew that a case existed for work to be done here as well too. Um, so, uh, you know, as as the way things are, are, are done here, um, a literature review and an evidence-based model and, and business case was kind of presented at an upper level here from from what I understand and then um, there was traction built and, and buy-in um, and then the person who was leading the team kind of got the organizational go-ahead to start building a Canada team so they employed a a, um, a research special or at first a, a, a kind of a, a community research specialist and she did um, a literature review um, and, and I think one of the uh, for, for the amount of studies that go on um, in this country and, and I know for a fact with indigenous communities because I've been studied my whole life <laughs> um, it's funny that there's a lack of indigenous data when it comes to this particular area but the one thing that does come to the forefront again like i said is sadly there's a high population of um, indigenous people that don't seek eye health that don't get eye health um, like anywhere else so through that they, they figured that um, that's what why they would want to do things here in Can- or sorry in canada and then the home office here of operation eyesight is in calgary so um they thought that of course you want to get you, you um some stuff going in in your base of operation would probably be best um, and and get a a, a reputation in your home turf all right so so they 
um, endeavored on a pilot project here with the Mobile Eye Clinic, um, Evolution Eyes, who is still one of our, 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 our I think, our biggest partners right now, um, with providing eye health care to to um, to like inner city um, eye health. Yeah. Um, centers like like the Alex like um, um, somewhere yeah yeah places like that not not per se right into the hospitals you know yet hopefully you know that's maybe down the line but that's kind of where that pilot project started and how we started working here in Calgary and how we just knew that those pieces are are evident here of, of um, what what that looks like because once we started working with those organizations um, right we, we found what literal literature that was there to be correlating with um, what we were seeing in these programs when we would do an evaluation piece. Are you just um, going to start the project first in Calgary or do you want to kind of bring the project across Canada? Eventually, I think that would be like if you looked at like a five-year plan and then if we looked at kind of where we want to be and how do we get there and then we look. I guess five years ahead. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would want to be, be um, operating in a lot of other First Nations or or, or with First Nations, um, definitely. But in Calgary here and in, in, in Treaty Seven in this territory, this is definitely where we want to get started and, and have um, as much uh, opportunity to to serve. You know the million plus population that exists here uh, right like Calgary a lot of folks uh, seem to like to come here and, and to that you know Alberta in general right yeah. for for whatever reason um, so we want to kind of make sure that um, we're, we're, we're there to, to help with, with those needs as well too yeah uh, yeah no with like the prices going up and inflation I think you know just in general it's very hard to even afford groceries and so then, like 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 we were talking about, if you can't afford groceries, you can't afford rent. If you can decently see, you're like, whatever, I'll just go with it, you know. And so you don't go and get your checkup or anything done. And so, do you think that like, I think like this pr- program, like you were saying, um, in the next five years, you kind of want to bring it across. I think it'd be really cool to see it in like places that are very high in rent and like cost of living like you said a lot of people coming to alberta because of those reasons yeah like to see um you know like a mobile um eye health care kind of like vehicle coming in vancouver for example toronto for example because there's so many underserved communities there too and even people who are barely making like that line are homeless like i was on online just looking at it and just looking at how bad things are in toronto right now it's just it's kind of scary to see that it's actually just happening a couple provinces away yeah that's another segment of the population that this program is is designed to serve as well too is is homeless populations and then um providing eye health care to them as well too or access to it um but again there it comes down to like you said cost and 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 pieces like that because even this program if there's if there's benefits to be used like even provincial benefits like there would be for anything else for eye health care i guess or for health care in general with you know uh, eye health falling out of that um they they are accessed right like it's you you know what i mean and and we want to try and do our best to catch those folks that for whatever reason just 
don't have any coverage but if there is pieces there like we have figured out how to navigate the system um you know what i mean to ensure that the person who needs the service that day Mm -hmm. should they have used that benefit up over that two years really of of what it looks like if you are receiving provincial benefits um because he's really i think you need at least an i think it's once a year but they provide it every two years um right if you're between the ages of i think it's 18 to 69 other than that you kind of have some coverage but there's a segment there that that falls in there um you know we figured out how to ensure that again if that person that day there should need that service that there's a piece that can come with them that our optometrists that we work with there who again right these are the unicorns in the field that we're working with right is the best way to describe them um, because what you would charge in a private practice is not equivalent to what you would get from a benefit um, if you were on alberta works ash being here right um there there's a disparity there of i want to you know i probably significant i don't know the exact numbers yet myself but i i think it's between a difference of being paid 60 bucks or upwards of a hundred dollars more for an exam of say you have you doing the work right being being that optometrist (laughs) so with with even that um right it, it just it's not there for that person but there's pieces there but if somebody falls out of that and all of a sudden there's no benefits there we want to ensure that whoever's there our unicorn if you will is again not there um is getting their fair share of of the work put in because nobody um i think should have to do i don't know who should work for free if they put in all this or, or or anything like that but they're there to help so we try and ensure that that financial piece is always covered no matter what for whoever's kind of trying to access um i think the clinic that day of, of which is a huge barrier um in 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 uh like you said for for just cost of living right now and uh, across yeah. the board and I really, I really want to get into the cost of barriers. Um, we will in a couple, in a little bit into the podcast. But I know you mentioned like just like, you know, when you come to an appointment, for example, um, how the physician or optometrist or whoever um, treats you. Um, I know I was talking to, I have like a volunteer for this organization and one of my clients, she's on H, And even she was telling me that when she goes to her doctor's appointments, like they're just because they know she's on age they're like well not going to be getting that much money so we don't really have to give you you know the top tier kind of service i i will be lazy i'll show up a couple minutes after that i'm supposed to and she's like anytime that i go to the appointment i feel rushed she's like i get anxiety sitting in the appointment because she's like i'm not able to actually talk about what i want to do because i feel like the doctor is like rushing me and i'd love to like kind of get more into it as the recording goes on but i think the barriers just cost barriers the first one but i think even like the way you get treated that's the thing that makes you not want to come the second time because if you're getting treated bad why would you get treated bad why would you choose to get treated bad again at that point you're like whatever like i don't want to go yeah 100 percent. i've heard that experience a lot from i guess just my my time of, of not only 
working in, I guess, my short time of working with Operation Eyesight, um, but my time in kind of working in this field in general, and of course, personal experience too of what it's like to go in with just um, First Nations healthcare coverage, or if you have Blue Cross or Sun Life or, or something else that can be um, accessed by who you're going to serve that or who you're going to get served by um and, and just yeah the difference of, of of how you're treated um and what that exam looks like um or, or what that time looks like being in that in in that office um yeah it's it's weird how it becomes um you become a second tier individual um like yeah it's it's it, it, I don't know. It's just so weird, and it's it's such a true experience of I think folks who are a if they're on some kind of provincial benefit, um, if they are right, you got to remember that you got to be go through a whole process even just to get H or that adult health benefit. If you don't have those, and if you're indigenous, maybe you have status. And then that becomes its own, okay, well, now you're not only second tier, you're third tier, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you will, right? You're, you're kicked down another another notch. Um, and then the struggle even with that to, to get that um, um, service or, or that payment. Like, again, like that's been my experience at working with places that are like, oh, we don't work with them that's what they say you know talking about you know first nations health coverage because they're so hard to deal with um and that's what you hear right away oh sorry we don't we don't deal with them um yeah, and, they, that, and yeah. then you ask why well they're 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 so con yeah yeah and then i've had the time experience too you know i've said okay well i'm gonna check this out so i did all the phone call and waited and you know it took me i think two months mm -hmm. to get the approval um i needed it's kind of like from both sides, like from, let's say, the office itself, like the receptionist, because I did, I was a receptionist for a bit, and I remember dealing with insurance companies can be very, it can be a lot when yeah. you have a lot of patients coming in with different companies too. And I, I from both sides, it's like the office itself, they're so busy, they're so overworked, overstaffed, etc., that they don't want to do the work because they're quote unquote whatever their reasons may be. They might be lazy or they don't have the the manpower to do it or the woman power to do it. And so that becomes an issue. And then on the other end, these insurance companies have so much that's going on in their own company that they don't have the time to focus on their clients in a way. Yeah. And so it's like if both places are busy, 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 it's like you will never be able to work together in a way too like like you mentioned that even when you call like an insurance company you'll be on the phone for so long just trying to hear one answer and then when they do talk to you they give you an answer that's doesn't really answer your question yeah and so you get lost again and i know like even in my um appointments when i go to the optometrist and then they do that little one or two thing i feel like if the physician or optometrist is kind of let's say being rude to you Sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between one or two. And so I feel like a lot of people, I know me personally, I do this just because I feel rushed and I feel like they're not going to give me the same. Like, I feel like I'm annoying them by being like, can you go back again and show me? Because I can't tell. Like, imagine if 
the optometrist itself is being a little pushy and a little like fast the other person feels like i shouldn't even comment because they're gonna get annoyed so i'll just go with one even though two was better yeah. or i won't ask for it because whatever it's past it now and i feel like if i experience that i'm not the only person who experiences that. i feel like a lot of people experience that and that sucks because you're going to your appointment and you're happy you finally got there but you get the wrong prescription mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or you don't actually get the type of care that you need because you feel so rushed. Yeah. That's, I think another, I guess, ideal piece about our, our piece that we would want to add to this program as well too, is, is, is cultural informed care. Um, you, you know what I mean? Some, some type of, of, of regulated training that you see coming in a, in a lot of industries right now about, first nations people and and about um just the struggle is real right how how it's not fair across the board so people could even have a chance to explore their own biases on why um they feel they need to treat other individuals like that when they're just there seeking the service like 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 anybody else would be but they just have to pay sixty dollars less or, or whatever that looks like it doesn't mean that they need the the less type of, of, of type of treatment um type of thing so yeah like i am a hundred percent uh yeah I, you know i agree with you i don't know if you have any any thoughts on that darcy on on anything like that um, or what your experience has yeah, been for yeah, for yeah. eye care for yourself um yeah i didn't get a lot of eye exams when i was younger but to be fair, I do have great vision, so I'm blessed with that. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of like. Wait, and you're you're just how old still right now, though? <laughs> um, I think there's definitely the relationship. There's a lot of distrust and a lot of um, just unsure about going to a doctor and trusting them and making sure that they are actually there to help you and want to help you. Um, I know when we were at one of the health fairs, um, a really sweet lady was telling us how she needs to get cataract surgery, but she does not trust the surgeon, and so she does not want to go. And although her family wants her to go, so you know she can see again and live life to the fullest, but she was scared to go. And so it's affecting her way of life now. And it, I mean, there's another barrier of actually just like, going to get it done like it's a f far way for a lot of people there's not local so that's also just like another barrier or another added stress because it's like do I trust them do I want to travel all the way over there so there's a lot of different things a lot of different factors that can come into mind for um, people that need the eye care but yeah I think that's a big a lot of the barriers there yeah, I know you mentioned, like, on reserves, like, they won't have, like, like maybe they won't have, like, an optometrist, like, a, like, an eye clinic, you know, or, like, a dental clinic. And even if they do, like, I know we were talking to another potential speak speaker, and she's from a town near Brooks. Um, I kind of forgot, but it's in rural Alberta. And she was saying that she went through a lot of, like, um, you know, she has her own... Such, like she has to go see the doctor often and she says that when, when we go there'll be one doctor on call and with the one doctor on call it's not like you know when you're, you're in Calgary the doctor will show up in 10 minutes 
it's more so the doctor will show up in an hour, two hours. Maybe they'll they'll be busy and they'll show up even after that. And so it's so hard to even if it's an emergency, if it's an emergency, then you have to drive all the way into the city to get to the service. Sometimes the service doesn't come to you, and when the service does come to you, they take their sweet time. And so I do like that kind of barrier that you did mention that we kind of forget that like because we we live in Calgary, I'm so used to like everything's like ten minutes away from me. Like I don't have to worry. But thinking about people who live not in Calgary, who live a little bit farther, and to come to Calgary is more like a five hour drive. I think that perspective is something that I haven't really taken into account because I didn't have to. So I do like the point that you did bring up, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about so many barriers, trust, cost barriers, location wise. So I was wondering. For Operation Eyesight, how can it incorporate the Indigenous experience? I think again, with 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 that is is now we're on a journey ourselves. I think, and then I say ourselves as an organization, because since I joined there, it's I think coming on eight months now. I'm getting close to a year. Um, we want to learn, right? We're in a 100% learning phase right now um, about what that Indigenous journey looks like and how we can best address that. Um, we've undergone some, right now, some in-house um, um, training and in, in, in pieces like that so that when we look to connect with communities or, or work with communities here in Treaty 7 territory, even in this urban setting, um, there's an understanding within our now our, our, our home office of what that looks like in those inequities, those unfairness, those, those, those inequalities that we've kind of talked about here this morning or, or that you kind of just mentioned there as well too, um, how those those pieces do affect individuals right here that we've been taught to like i say look by if we do take our glasses off and we do look like a blurry right we were taught to ignore them um and and not see them um um, and pretend they don't exist here or 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 somebody is helping them and we don't have to worry about them when when maybe we do have a a job to do so there's a lot of internal learning going on right now amongst ourselves um, about what that would look like um, and then we also will um, take it am- upon ourselves as an organization to to ensure that we have a council or a committee uh, an indigenous advisory committee um, ensuring that um, we're thinking of things that we've probably not even thought about yet right um in 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 when it looks like to improving this mobile eye health clinic as well too right and things that we are doing or if when we do grow over the years and say we we do start working with um say indigenous communities and um indigenous eye health or indigenous healthcare centers that again we've done the work per se if you will right um internally so that we're not coming in with uh um I don't know, I guess that that white savior or whatever, that savior mentality that, um, you know, that that you come into a lot of communities thinking that we know how to do this and then also not, uh, like you said, one and done. Yeah. Here's your eye, here's your, here's your checkup, here's your glasses, see in a year yeah. kind of thing that there's a built-in component piece to keep going in, in the communities as well too that is ownership by them of what it looks like to... Um, 
keep that education going to Bodai Health or, or there's pieces around the community that are, are in 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 their language, in their in things that mean something to them that would represent the importance of uh, eyesight as to what we would think of, of being uh, or what it would make it important to us by going to your local optometrist's office. Um, so I, th I think representation of what that and inclusion and then inside of this program I, I hope really hope there's a desire to bring aboard more indigenous people as well too to really build out this program um, to do this work um, beyond Darcy and myself as well too even though we're uh, kind of the go-getters right now of uh, what's happening with with this stuff so I think that is, is how a way that we want to do that and guide on anything we want to do to ensure that indigenous worldview or even lived experience is incorporated into anything that we're mm -hmm. going to do yeah um, yeah it's good to hear having a indigenous community involved in this operation i said is a great way to include and the community base. yeah exactly and then you also mentioned white savior and stuff so how are you planning to decolonize the work you're planning to do so a little bit of that now again is is education right mm -hmm. and then really um again educating the people on our team who are going to be um helping us tell these stories and, and and pieces like that so again for ourselves we've undergone some training with an organization called pipiquan petukwa which is a um, indigenous relations firm um, and we went you know two days of in-depth training on you know basic if you will first nations 101 on the first day right for our staff and pieces like that uh, you know you, you can equivalent to maybe the u of a course indigenous canada yeah kind of like that you know we touched on areas that should be you know every canadian should know about no matter what you do for work um and then a second day we actually went into one um it was called um hang on i'm just trying to find it, the name of it here it was called actually called decolonized communications um and uh, training right and through that one we we looked at again what it what it looked like to tell stories um and lose that saviorism if that's the word or what you know what i mean that that context of um even um like saying or oh, our work with our indigenous communities right like ownership and, and storytelling right like who's really telling this story who should we have telling this story um so pieces like that i think we're learning to incorporate in what we do front-facing to community because all of our work is donor supported right like we're not government funded um, anything like that we don't have regular pieces like that this is all we have a donor relations team that needs to go out and really tell these stories um, in a heartfelt way right and if you look at the operation eyesight webpage you see some really heartfelt stories where you know what i mean like you watch that and two minutes later you're you know got the lump in your throat or, or something right and you're you're ready to give so we want to bring that say like i said tell those stories by indigenous peoples without it seeming like 
oh pandering yeah. <laughs> or um or oh we're again presenting something we don't know what we're talking about so that's kind of what we're doing to really ensure that indigenous lens is there then of course onboarding people like myself and darcy who are authentic indigenous people who you know live that and can tell that story did you ever get a chance to kind of facilitate a blanket exercise for your office yeah yeah i did i um i i two of them we um that was one of the actually the, the training actually went kind of kind of neat for Operation Eyesight, kind of a reverse of what you would normally do. So normally a blanket exercise is something you would do maybe after a classroom style training, which the Pipiquan was very impactful. Elders like involved, like I'd never been in such a great training in that type of setting. They did a great blend of that. But a blanket exercise, like it takes you to a different place, a different journey, right? It, it's meant to, it's meant to, um, um, physically put you in what that looked like for indigenous people um, and even really start to like um, yeah just uh, I, don't, I don't know what the how, what would be a word for it Darcy you, you experienced when you like how, how did you feel going kind of through the blanket exercise even though you're indigenous yourself like I always find that's a different lens itself but yeah. um, you, you were there that day maybe you can, can yeah uh, yeah, even though, you know, I am definitely familiar with the timeline of things, when you're physically put into it and you um, see things being taken away and see the blankets moving and people moving, it definitely still put things into perspective and it's very moving and very emotional still. Um, even though, you know, when you're just reading something in a book or on words, you can take that indefinitely. But when you're like physically visualizing it it definitely has deeper meaning yeah i i did a blanket exercise last year in january and I, like you said I, I fully what you said like i can relate to it when you were like you read something but it doesn't re like the emotions doesn't really register properly you're just reading it mm -hmm. but when i actually physically stood there on the land held the cards and they're like well you're holding a red card you're out and it's like, yeah. well, I, I just got the card. How am I out? And so just being there physically, it connected all the information that we did learn together. It made me feel like, okay, like I can actually connect with the information now. And when I read it, I felt that emotional connection. Initially, it was more so you're just reading it to read it. The teacher told you, the prof told you. But now it's like when I was reading it, I understood what was being written, why it was being written, and from what perspective, which was really nice. I think a lot of classes should do um, blanket exercises. Yeah, yeah it's uh, powerful, um, for sure. I, I've done it in, in schools with like groups of students. I think it was a grade 9 class, um, and then with teachers as, as well, too, with uh, professionals, um, with post-secondary students, uh, with, with or I guess I said, yeah, working professionals. Um, yeah, and it's always been afterwards when you sit down and, and you hear people share about the impact on, on what it was, you, you do hear a lot of, uh, I, I never thought about it this way, or I've never experience this way where they are put in a place where it um, a commonality does I, I, I guess maybe our, a humanness comes out um, instead of uh, just looking at it as um, 
kind of how we're taught to look at the indigenous experience today as problematic, uh, right? It's a problem for Canada to solve where really it's it's a partnership that needs to be revisited. <laughs> what approach do you find the most effective in serving communities with similar issues, if that's... Uh, in Canada here? Yeah. Like... Um, Similar issue, like, okay, I, I guess a comparison I could make here is I spent a lot of years work, we spoke about it today, in homelessness, um, and with that presents a lot of same issues that um, come through with my health care, um, with people just accessing services. Um, so I think it was bringing the services to the people, kind of like what we're doing now with this mobile eye clinic, like, for instance, working with the drop-in center um, really seems to to be effective uh, we were there the other the other day and then things things um, things went well for the time we were there um, and the appointments that were scheduled that day with um, the nature of, of the folks being served um, you know it's a little harder to nail down um, so uh, bringing that to the people was I think really effective um, and, and with saying that it's also I think uh, um, we're not frontline workers, right? So, so right, we, we we more kind of coordinate things. But it's that old saying too of of meeting people where they're at. So, with the folks that we are partnered with, right, there kind of is that education piece there around the folks we're serving, um, right, are, are coming to serve a system that has all these invisible barriers so we have to be recognized uh, recognize that so there is is that cultural education piece as well too of, of what this looks like um for folks wanting to come seek out services who normally don't or who for whatever reason racism and biases are, are treated differently when they do go seek services whether they be i guess from the experience of being indigenous or or homeless or even kind of both um, so I think that's kind of been an approach that I've used in this field as being a professional for as long as I have um, and then of course just always being um, the best ally I can um, for for folks but not again just because I'm indigenous doesn't mean I can't come in with my own level of saviorism too right thinking that I know what's best when I probably don't, right? Because mm -hmm. well, it's not me, mm -hmm. it's somebody else's journey. Um, so I got to support that as best I can. So I think a recognition I, uh, of, of, of that as well too in a level of humility um, has always been good. And then when you get to equivalently and talking about indigenous way of life, indigenous knowing and being, again, I've always found bringing that um, it has been very successful as well too and that may be as simple as you know you show up with a braid of sweetgrass um, or, or a bundle of sage or, or something like that right um, when you're going to serve individuals or you add that level of cultural safety right I think that we kind of touched upon for when Darcy said maybe somebody doesn't feel safe going somewhere because there's not that cultural safety piece there as, as well too um kind of kind of thing you know i like the way you said um and recognize that like i might be indigenous but like i have a savior kind of complex in me too 
and I feel like that's something that not a lot of people um, kind of say that about themselves so I do appreciate you um, saying that and I know you do a lot of work in kind of reconnection and connection and um, cultural practices why is that so important to you? Well, I think for me, that's <coughs> kind of what brought me back to who I am, right? I, I was raised um, as kind of the only ever little brown kid with all of the white kids when I grew up, right? With the mining community that I grew up in, right? Um, so I, I I remember myself being small and being scared of the other indigenous kids <laughs> that were from the town that I was in. So. Um, as I got older, I realized, you know what, I don't fit in with this group of, of, of non-Indigenous, <laughs> fair-skinned, you know, northern Manitoba kids that I grew up with, right? Um, that, I, that I maybe fit in better over here. Um, so, but with that also came um, what it is to be lost, as well too right because there's no connection there uh nobody really knew what it was to be what i am today right and like you said i was induced as an indigenous man well i can explain what what that is through culture now so it was a journey back to there a whole lifelong journey for myself right from age 26 to 44 lifelong if you can but i can actually pinpoint the years where you know i went back to ceremony um and really started diving into that piece to give myself the strength to walk in all the rest of this world um, but be able to bring that all the time and not get lost in the western views or the western um, way of work of, of the way of things of how or, or of how and where I work um, in, in the professional field so that's always been at the heart of my work because it's been I guess the heart of my journey as well too to get back to who I am um, in reclaiming um, my uh, heritage and ancestry as well too so that's why I think that the little bit of why that's so important to me of um, always ensuring that uh, I talk about this stuff no matter what field I work in or whatever sector I work in in this field um, eye health specific homelessness um or or any other justice right you know what i mean i do a lot of work up in justice as well too so it's the same thing all i bring there is culture yeah. that's it you know what i mean and, and reconnect the individuals because if there's one person there that it helps great um right and if it helps somebody feel safe to come access a service great um hopefully they'll continue on and then hopefully through education um in their um, language even if you will like in their culture that they'll continue on to seek out that overall good health above all else right and you get that happiness help and understanding to follow yeah yeah oh thank you and for you darcy how was that kind of journey of reconnection how was that for you um yeah so since i'm someone with more lighter skin light eyes a lot of people looking at me would never guess that <laughs> I am a Métis. Um, and that part of that is also I never really felt Indigenous or Métis because of how I look. And so it's always kind of a lost journey of where I fit into that as well. Um, but I think as I'm getting older, trying to connect more with my 
um, heritage and with the cultural roots there. And it's kind of just a journey and realizing that there's a lot of people like me that also don't physically look it, but that doesn't change anything else about um, my background and my relatives and ancestors and what they fought through and for me to be here. So it's still a continuous journey, but always learning and um, yeah, seeing what I can do with it. Mm, that's really nice. Um, I know you said that like a uh, ceremony was like a way for you to reconnect. What does ceremony mean to you? For you both? Anyone can go first. <laughs> I think for me, it's going back to the land. Okay. I mean, getting back on the land, um, land-based teachings um, and getting outside of, of these spaces, right? Like even taking this for a walk on uh, like a portable set and doing an interview like this, you know, especially when the weather is nice like this outside where you can hear the wind and the rustle and the birds and the sit on the grass kind of thing. Um, so getting back there and then once you get to the land right that's where i think you get into get into teachings about ceremony and actually participating in actual ceremony um where it becomes as as they call it now like experiential learning right where you are actually learning by doing and, and how it say maybe how it is at your homes right you, you might have a very cultural oriented home right so you might know exactly what i'm talking about when you walk in the door you might go into maybe you don't only speak english maybe at home you speak your mother tongues right and the whole flavor changes when you walk in the door so it's the same yeah it's the same same thing when um you, you jump into for me to get back to what that looks like and then go back into ceremony is i don't have to speak english right i can start to sing and pray and i know that i'm saying things that aren't in this uh tongue that i've it's great you know there it's you know we've all become universal translators if we know this language but um if you know your own language and if you know how to pray in your own language um you know that your ancestors hear you that much more even though i know i could pray in english and it wouldn't be just as effective but there's just a level of uh yeah. ceremony there when you get back to what that looks like um, land language medicines smells pieces like that so i think that's kind of what ceremony is to me and then also including it into your everyday life um and then you walk the walk right not just talk to talk of, of when you're in ceremony i mean we're just human beings we want to laugh and have fun of course but you know what i mean when you, you gotta carry that spiritual ethicalness with you i guess when you when you do get into a, a certain um, aspect of ceremony or maybe it's a certain time of year right like maybe you're a faster and it's time for you to go out fasting so the way that i was taught about fasting right there's going to be this whole time frame where you're going to take yourself out of basically the mainstream of society for a period of time while you get ready to go out and do this very sacred thing um and to build yourself resilience up to be able to go do this very sacred thing right because it's not simple so those are kind of all what it means to me to go back to ceremony and and still get out every day and sadly I have to make money <laughs> to live <laughs> nice and I have a kind of like this because our podcast is kind of about 
health and wellness and Canadian healthcare system. What does kind of wellness, maybe mental health, health, what does that mean to you? Because we had a speaker come on and she had a really good point of saying that I don't like using the term mental health or just health. It's wellness. So I that really resonated with me. And anytime that I go out, I like to use the word wellness now just because it's more it's a well-rounded word holistic it's holistic it encompasses so much more than when i just say mental health it's very categorized in that sense you can get stigmatized and yeah just those two words put together itself are very yeah you know so even for us i think it's called wellness days now instead of mental health days and like the the yeah in the field and all that and policy and all of that too um so um question again being yeah so what does kind of wellness mean to you what does that look like for this specifically like for this just for you in general well for me i think i would speak to wellness in in in, um waking up every day and being thankful um as hard as that is uh, right you know the mornings when you wake up like uh where you're just not that thankful um so i think it's it's the simple things in in that um in if family as well too i think is is huge in, in that area wellness as well too and making sure that um what it looks like to take care of your family or what your place is in with your family um and that could be either you know immediate family right or or maybe you're an adopted family right so again that for me could be teoshpe where you're adopted um and then you're a sibling by choice which could maybe mean more than a blood sibling right um so i think those pieces for wellness in general um are things that you need to be to have included in your in in your in your life um and then our general healthy stuff that comes through you know what we know about the canadian healthcare system of course too you should be going to get regular checkups hopefully get a doctor if you can get one even though there's a shortage for all of this stuff yeah. so there's definitely that piece of wellness too when we sp- speak about it and regular eye health checkups i can't stress that enough <laughs> and, and taking care of that um but you know there's that's spiritual wellness and then pieces around there too that works hand in hand um that you'd kind of need to incorporate i think and and chase down and be thankful for um so in a nutshell i guess or in a circular aspect that's kind of wellness holistic piece as well too going beyond just what it looks like to uh eat your vitamins or or proper vegetables or or, you know don't eat too much red meat or whatever the latest advice is advice is right for um i guess also depending on a lot of that too is i think want to say there's a piece there about diet as well too and and what is traditional diet and and all of that Um, so um Right, like we can get into diabetes around wellness and all of that as well too. And, and but I think for wellness, for me, that's kind of um, what it looks like. Well, I also have a question. If some listeners would want to, are in, wants to join Operation Eyesight, is there a process to getting involved with Operation Eyesight? Like as a volunteer? Yeah, or anything. Well, I guess if there's a. a position posting somebody can always apply to work there right um but as for i I think as for volunteers i'm I'm not sure if we have a huge volunteer 
component right now. I, I think the best way is, is, I think, through giving right now with Operation EyeSight and then being able to, whatever that looks like for, for, for a donation um, is the best way to get involved. And then through all the great work that they do, they kind of you know funnel that money to where where it needs to go as well too um based on program needs and, and things like that so i think that's probably the best way to get involved um right now with with operation eyesight um yeah okay i know um darcy skipped over you but what does wellness mean to you um yeah it's kind of i think a combination of things that sydney mentioned so it's physical mental spiritual and how all of those kind of align together to make you really i think have good wellness or in good health um because i feel like if you're lacking in one area it definitely affects the other so having the good combination and figuring out what's right for you and that works with a lot with reflection and trial and error sometimes but yeah having a harmonious in sync of all of them So one last question before we wrap up our episode for today. So if you could leave the listeners with one point or learning or highlight, what would it be? It's a big question. Um, again, I, I would say just to keep on on what we want to say here is is the importance of um, taking care of your 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 eyes and, and getting some regular. Um, access to what that looks like um for for anybody here right because again whoever's listening you you might be going through some of the same stuff as well too right of of what it looks like to serve or or or, sorry be served or pieces like that but um i think it would be uh, just uh know the importance of of eye health get some education around that and, and ensure that uh you get your you know your your checkup for for your eyes yeah um as well as that i think it's just also leading with kindness and compassion when you are communicating with anyone no matter what side if you're a service provider or someone who's needing service just leading with that can open up more doors probably than um you would ever ever realize and building trust and relationships through that yeah Yeah, thank you i think that's something that we kind of have to it's kind of sad that we kind of have to remember to be kind. <laughs> right. You know, that's just something that we should all just do as humans. But I feel like we really forget that. I don't know why it's really hard to be kind in this day and age. But I think that's a really good way to end it. Just be kind. And yeah, like and no matter if you're seeking a service or if you're a service provider, like you have to maintain that same type of like we're both equals at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you're providing the service or if i'm seeking it like we're still here for the same thing in a way so yeah thank you guys so much um sydney and darcy for joining us today taking time out of your busy busy schedule and just sharing your thoughts letting us know more about what operation eyesight does here in calgary and also internationally um yeah thank you so much for coming on We want to thank CJSW, the Indigenous Global and Local Health Office, Grandmother's Lodge at the Faculty of Social Work, the UCREATE team, and our editor, Atea, for helping us with this podcast. Lastly, thank you to everyone who tuned in. 
Um, to listen to our full episode, tune into Apple Music, Spotify, or CJSW.com with special guests and your two favorite hosts, Harushi and Harveen. So keep a lookout for the next episodes. And until then, remember to get your eyes checked and to be kind. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>